Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batir. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am here today with Pratiba, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Aspen Tech, and David Danes, Global Alliance Manager at AWS Energy. Aspen Tech is a leader in global asset optimization software that helps industries operate more efficiently, safely, and reliably. What this translates to is also more environmentally friendly operations. So today we are going to focus in on one major idea and one specific software that Aspen Tech has. That idea is going to be optimizing manufacturing production while also decreasing unplanned downtime. So. Pratiba, David, thank you for joining me on the show today. If you would, please share with me and the audience your background and a quick introduction to Aspen Tech and AWS. Pratiba, let's have you go first. And also for the audience, I did not even attempt Pratiba's last name. I'm going to let her do that because I don't want to butcher it. So, so thank Pratiba. you. Hello, Joe. Thanks. Thanks for the introduction. Happy to be here. I am Pratiba Pillalamari. I'm a chemical engineer by training. I have over 15 years of experience, uh, specifically in refining and petrochemicals. I worked in India, Europe, and for the past 10 years, I've been here in Houston in various capacities. So from tech services, technical services, uh, as a process engineer, as a project manager, and now as a senior product marketing manager. Um, I have a master's in chemical engineering from um, University of Houston, a master's degree in process engineering and MBA from Hamburg, Germany, and a bachelor's degree in chemical, chemical engineering from India. So um, Aspen, and or what we know as Aspen Tech today, um, was actually an MIT project that was funded by uh, Department of Energy. So ASPEN stands for Advanced System for Process Engineering for you know, any chemi or process engineering fans out there. Uh, the team, uh, including our current CTO, uh, explored technical innovations in response to the 1970s energy crisis. So they worked together to develop the chemical industry's first computer-based modeling and simulation technology. So uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is we've been here for over 40 years, 42 years to be exact. And um, our solutions help our customers operate in these complex manufacturing environments um, to optimize asset design, um, operation, maintenance. So basically through the entire um, asset lifecycle. And uh, this year, Aspen Tech and AWS won the IoT Partner Ecosystem of the Year 
in the seventh annual annual uh, IoT Breakthrough Awards. Um, and today we are here to discuss the uh, joint solution that uh, won the award. Great, thank you for your introduction. I'm very excited. David, let's have you introduce yourself. This is your first time on the show and a little bit about what you do at AWS Energy. Sure, Joe, thank you for the introduction and, and thanks for, for having us on this morning. Um, yeah, David Danes. Uh, my, my background and training is uh, is in electrical engineering, similar to Pratiba, graduated from Colorado State University. And uh, I started my career um, with a, a company called Schneider Electric, a large French corporation. And uh, I, I, I spent my time in various outside sales and business development roles. Um, originally started off selling electrical switch gear uh, and then moved more into the software realm um, where I sold the EcoStructure technology stack, if you're familiar with that uh, Schneider Electric marketing term, um, which consisted of hardware, software, and analytics and services. So I uh, spent roughly five years doing that, um, selling en energy management solutions uh, to, to various industries um, including government entities, um, uh, energy companies, um, etc. So, um, and then and then I, I made the switch uh, from I'll say on-premise solutions to to cloud uh, and made the switch over to Amazon Web Services. Um, I just hit my my one year with AWS uh, last week. So um, in AWS years, that's a long time. Uh, but uh, uh, really enjoying it so far. So at AWS, I'm a, a Global Alliance Manager, um, a Partner Development Manager, and really handle the, the uh, partner relationships uh, in the energy space. So oil and gas, power and utility, independent software vendors that build their solutions on the AWS cloud. Um, and, and kind of my job uh, is, is kind of three pillars, right? I help our independent software vendors build on the cloud, go to market with those solutions on the cloud, and then, and then sell with those solutions to, to end users and, and help solve our, our customers' challenges that they're experiencing in the, in the energy space. Um, so that's a little bit about me on a, on a more personal note. Uh, originally from Montana. I, I forgot to mention I'm based in Denver, um, but originally from Montana. Montana. I'm an avid outdoorsman. Enjoy skiing, golfing, hunting, and anything you name uh, outside. I'm I'm there. So, uh, and then my wife and I are, are just south of Denver with uh, three little ones uh, who are ages four, two, and six months. So there's there's never a dull <laughs> moment in the Danes household. <laughs> no, I bet not. Yeah. Well, thank you both for for your introductions and looking looking back at, at Aspen Tech for a minute here to to help simplify it down and, and kind of look at it from a macro level. Aspen Tech is using data analysis is what it sounds like to help make processes better. And it, we're focused in on that manu manufacturing facility right now. So I'd like to make sure we all have a baseline on what actually occurs in manufacturing and kind of where we are talking about. Are we talking about things like steel mills? Are we talking about screen printing plants? Are we talking about like, are we talking about building cars? So 
let's dive into what exactly do we mean by manufacturing? What are we talking about making here? When are these running? And how many people actually work in these facilities? Can we can we lay that yeah, groundwork um, here? Also, importantly, why? Uh, so uh, I, I perhaps I'll start from the high level and kind of zoom down. Um, so w- we all know that uh, we are living in challenging times, right? So over the next um, thirty years, uh, the global demand for resources is supposed to grow. Um, and that is not just to support the uh, expanding population, but also to raise the standard uh, of living for those that are con- currently underserved. Um, and what I mean by that is that we know the energy demand is going to grow by 50% in 2050. Um, electricity generation is going to jump up, and most of that is going to come from renewables. So what I'm trying to say is that th- there are rising costs that are associated with raw materials and energy, and at the same time, um, there is an imperative to meet sustainability goals, to support energy transition, decarbonization, um, and find solutions to waste. So coming back to the manufacturing question that you had asked. Now, if you consider uh, any production line and you think about what a sudden stoppage of an equipment can do to that production line, right? It, it could lead to safety incidents. It could lead to... Uh, product contamination, uh, financial loss, for uh, obviously, uh, but also product and energy wastage. But to bring this back to the question of what industries are we talking about, right? This is not just a single facility or a single industry. Uh, all asset and energy intensive industries um, are impacted by this. And what I mean by that is that oil and gas, um, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, metals and mining, uh, food and beverage, pulp and paper, any industry that is asset intensive or capital intensive or energy intensive, however you want to put it, is impacted by this. And um, they, they, they could be small facilities, large facilities, multi-site, multinational uh, facilities, but everyone is equally affected by the fact that you have to run your operations efficiently, uh, of course, profitably, but also uh, sustainably. And uh, the best response, I think, is to simultaneously tackle all three. And the de- digital technologies uh, provide a pathway for um, the customers to stay competitive in this space. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point, bringing in that why of the fact that everything is kind of increasing in price, we have an increasing demand as we are raising the standard of living for the, for the entire world. And ultimately that needs us to be Mm -hmm. more, more productive, but also producing at a higher efficiency with the manufacturing that we currently have. That's a very good point. So David, did you have something to, to add? Yeah, if, if I if I might just jump in here, Joe. So yeah, during my Schneider Electric days, uh, just kind of echoing what what Pratiba had said, I was really boots on the ground at, at Schneider, right, chatting mm-hmm. with um, with operators uh, and and with folks who were were really communicating to me their challenges in their in their everyday lives, and and it just goes mm-hmm. back to I'll say the the reliability, um, the uptime. 
um, and, and safety of their operations. These folks were, um, they had KPIs, right, that were directly uh, correlated to how their manufacturing operations um, were running. Uh, and it's, it's not like their budgets were increasing, right? Their budgets were going down. So they had to make the most of, of what they were given um, and, and to uh, kind of, uh, I'll say, be more efficient with, with their resources. Um, and yeah, it, it just goes back to uh, being operationally uh, competent and, and being able to uh, achieve some of those outcomes uh, with as little as possible. And I, I think, uh, you know, given this macroeconomic environment, we, we, we really need to be completely focused on, on uh, being the best stewards of, of the resources that we're given um, because we're not given a lot. So, um, yeah, ha- having that focus of, of trying to do more with less, uh, I think, is, is really kind of sits at the heart of, of what these operational managers are, are trying to do and, and leadership as well. Um, it's not just uh, it's, it's, it's a top down message as well. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that, that was kind of some experience that I had during my, my Schneider Electric days and still realizing that over at AWS as well. Yeah. Yeah. So to to not overstate it, this is very important. You see it kind of across the board, the value of doing more with less and optimizing your production and your efficiency and your use of resources. One thing I'm surprised, though, and kind of bringing in this conversation now is is that with Aspen Tech starting in the 1970s and and continually evolving over those those 40 plus years, we've we've been going into more data collection, cloud computing and this digital infrastructure. So I'm curious why why now? Why have we not seen more of this monitoring and and kind of digitalization of major industrial processing plants earlier? Um, I can go first. Uh, so I want to say definitely I give credit to manufacturers. And again, this is applicable to the industries that I just spoke about. Uh, so manufacturers have always used data, right? From data that is... Uh, contained in design drawings that actually gets translated to their manufacturing uh, job sheets to monitor processes once the plant is operational. So the use of data in manufacturing, that's that's not new. It's it's always been there. But the data is often stored in um, separate systems, disconnected systems, managed by different teams, and at times gone by... Um, if I may say so, inconsistent or competing processes. Um, so companies collect vast troves of process data, but they just use it for tracking purposes and perhaps not for um, improving operations. So data is not becoming the basis for improving uh, operations. So going back to the uh, equipment shutdown example that I just gave, um, without precise shutdown and interruption in information, manufacturers will never truly know uh, how efficient their production line is, right? To stay competitive, and especially in an environment like this that we just discussed, you know, doing uh, more with less, there is a need for companies to collect, uh, to centralize data, to extract uh, actionable um, 
data-driven insights to improve, improve plan performance, uh, not just for profitability, but also for sustainability. So companies are increasingly actually taking advantage of advanced digital solutions. Like I said, um, downstream industry was always into automation. It's, it's not something new, but they are now realizing the power that this data has. Uh, many companies are data rich, like I mentioned. So they're taking advantage of these digital technologies uh, like asset performance management solutions, one of which is on uh, AWS cloud, uh, to drive improvements in whether it is equipment uh, health or process health, uh, ensuring your operational risk is low, minimizing the need for you know capital investments uh, to improve reliability. So the uh, the AWS Aspen Tech solution that I just mentioned, it's called the Asset Management uh, Maintenance and Reliability Solution. It's AMR, and it's specifically um, developed to help the manufacturing set sector to address these uh, changes. And it utilizes, the solution utilizes Aspen Tech's prescriptive maintenance solution um, on AWS cloud. So by partnering with AWS, now we're able to provide our customers with the, the flexibility and the scalability to address these issues. So- Okay. Go ahead, David. Um, no, I, I was just gonna add on to that, Pratiba. So yeah, I, I think uh, to answer that, that question earlier there, Joe, um, I, I don't think it's a matter of uh, monitoring not occurring. It's it's that monitoring is occurring. It's just how they're monitoring it. Um, uh, and take for example, I remember uh, you know back during my Schneider Electric days. Uh, again, boots on the ground, right? Um, and hearing from customers directly, uh, I, I would ask customers sometimes, "Hey, what's what's your monitoring system today? What do you do?" And uh, they say, "Oh yeah, that's that's Jim." And I'd say, "What's what is Jim? Is that an acronym for, for some you know state of the art uh, monitoring monitoring solution that you're using?" And uh, no, that's that's Jim. He he goes up and looks at the equipment, and and writes it down or puts it into an Excel spreadsheet, right? And I think um, we, we we've come a long way. Obviously, that's kind of a, an extreme example there, but but it 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 truly is happening in, in some places, right? Um, and I think it's it's a matter of moving from. Uh, moving and modernizing from that kind of uh, from that extreme right to, uh, to to on premise, I think is is kind of the natural next step, right? We we get our monitoring solution at a at a plant level, um, and then I think really taking taking that even a step further to where you can really analyze and 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 unlock the data. I'll say uh, on the cloud that really helps you you scale your operations across an enterprise, um, and it makes that data accessible. Um, it's, it's more reliable um, and it's, it's, it's safer as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a, a little bit about uh, the experience that I've had and, and um, really, really modernizing our solutions and, and monitoring uh, today helps, helps our customers solve some of the challenges that they're seeing, um, seeing in the field. Great. Now you have pointed out several of those problems that can be identified through this, whether that is just general operational efficiency or unplanned downtime, figuring out why that was caused and, and trying to bring that back up. What are, are there any other major, I think, insights or, or aha moments that you have seen 
come from instituting the this solution and, and starting to do this prescriptive maintenance and yeah monitoring. yeah so the, the 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 prescriptive maintenance solution that is available on the cloud um it can easily uh, very early uh, establish and predict the onset of a degradation right and what it is basically doing is it's looking at your process signals and looking at tiny changes in those signals uh, and telling you exactly what to do. Um, an aha moment, uh, perhaps uh, for one of our clients, I think I can draw from uh, a different industry altogether, pharmaceuticals. Um, GSK is one of our uh, biggest clients in the pharma space. And uh, they had issues with their mechanical seals uh, in their operations. And they were going about, you know, business as usual, every eight batches, I'm, I am going to go and fix this issue ahead of time, very proactive in, in their maintenance. And mainly because pharma, A, it's producing this uh, highly valued product. You don't want to lose a batch. You, and any stoppage during the process, you, you lose the batch. And it's quite vital. We learned that through the pandemic too. Mm. Um, so this, when the seal failure occurs, of course, you lose batches that you cannot recover. And that was also impacting the amount of product that they can produce, their production capacity to the point where they thought perhaps they should invest capital, you know, to get back to their the capacity that they need. Um, so with Entel, what they were able to do and what was aha for me uh, learning for me was that they were able to see this early signs of a seal failure um, by the learning that the solution had. And this resulted in fewer process disruptions because they increased the frequency of actually having to replace these seals. So from once every eight batches to now every 25 batches. And the beauty was that they were not just able to reduce their maintenance, the life cycle maintenance caused by um, 60%, but also helped with their CapEx production of 50%. So um, there are multiple benefits of having the solution, not just earlier, early failure prediction, which is definitely a big plus. It helps, uh, you know, advice. It gives you the uh, ability to collaborate amongst different teams, right? Operations, maintenance, planning, scheduling. Um, but also there is improved uptime. There is improved safety. Um, while you're reducing your dependency on uh, having those maintenance personnel off-site or those pairs. Yeah, I think that is that's a great example. And that is exactly what my next question was going to be because I think about my car and going and changing the oil every 5,000 miles and and everybody always says, as long as you follow the prescribed maintenance schedule, take it in every 5,000 to the dealership and have it do all of the routine maintenance, your car will last forever. But I think your example is a great one, pointing out that depending on, I, I guess, going into there more, my question is, with every one of their, every one of their mm -hmm. machines, with these mechanical seals, was it ultimately that all of them could go to 25 batches before needing a seal replacement or was was each different machine its own beast that really needed its own maintenance schedule and maintenance plan 
Is that something that you can see using something yeah, like that? Yeah, I, uh, I personally like the car analogy and I pretty much do the same. If someone tells me, <laughs> do something, it's going to be, it's good for you, good for health, good for your car. And I stick to that prescription, like to the T. Um, and it's very hard. It's very hard to change habits, right? And I, uh, I can, uh, I can see that. Uh, but the, and the, I would say the short answer is yes. The how you operate a particular piece of equipment uh, can actually tell you. Entel can actually tell you when you require maintenance. Uh, going back to the GSK example, if you have similar pieces of the same equipment in the same service or a similar service, then yes. If you are doing going from eight batches to twenty-five batches, you can take that and use that across your similar pieces of equipment in the same service. That's the caveat. Uh, but I would also say that will your maintenance strategy for different pieces of equipment in a production line be same? I would say no. Uh, it depends on how critical that piece of equipment is in that facility, in that line. So you can, it's like an a la carte menu. You, you, on some pieces of equipment, perhaps just doing preventive maintenance gets your job done. It's probably cheaper. Uh, you know, you have it in your operating procedures and you're good to go. Um, but perhaps certain other pieces of equipment that are in critical service, you cannot afford to lose that piece because it can bring a whole production line down. Then you want to attack that with a different maintenance strategy. So you bring up an interesting point. We, uh, there is an analyst company based out of Boston called ARC. Um, and they suggest that 82% or more of the damage is caused by, that is, 82% uh, of the damage is not caused by normal wear and tear, but actually it's the process that causes this. And when I'm, by that I mean how you operate your equipment, um, you know, operating outside the safety or the design standards or operating not as intended can then lead to, you know, unwanted outages. So standard maintenance practices cannot find those errant conditions. You know, it cannot find, uh, it cannot find those signals in your, it cannot look at the signals in your data and tell you when, what is going to happen, no matter how much you inspect and get that machine serviced. So the technology these days that what we have with the, the solution that you're providing with uh, AWS can do exactly that. So Mtel will monitor the asset in the context of its usage and then provides you with these earliest possible indicators of damage um, using machine learning. It can tell you when and why a degradation or failure will happen, but it can also tell you what you can do about it to avoid a problem or to prevent a complete equipment shutdown. And uh, going back to your car examples, right? I, I know that this kind of uh, technology is now being offered by some of the manufacturers like uh, Tesla and BMW. The, the computer monitoring system in their cars is able to actually predict when a component is about to fail, uh, notify the drivers, notify the service technicians, you know, therefore allowing them to bring in parts in a timely manner. You know, you don't have to collect rust in your shop. So I think it is happening in every, um, in every industry. But the maintenance strategy, though, um, you'll have to plan it based on the equipment, based on the service, um, uh, the criticality of the equipment. So there is no one size fits all is what I'm trying to say.
Yeah, I like that. And I think that's the that's a very good point that really it it is how you operate your machinery. Are you are you a city driver in stop and go traffic all the time? Or are you a long haul trucker who is driving cross country all the time? Those are very important aspects to then how you maintain your personal vehicle. So I want to dive into I guess the how now. I think we can we can see the why mm-hmm. and the value and the importance, but I want to get to the functional what exactly does this look like doing first monitoring data and collecting it and then what this prescriptive maintenance concept is and how you how you function. Uh, yeah, so uh, like I mentioned before, uh, so Antel brings machine learning to practice, right? It, the, the methodology is very simple, structured workflow process to build what we call as agents. Basically, these are this is software elements. Um, and what the agents do is they do the complex engineering and the data science work for the end users. So the solution is basically collecting, gathering all archived signal streams, you know, from your sensors in the plant. Uh, sensors that the plant has in operations like temperatures, like speeds, uh, vibration. Like I said, manufacturers are sitting on data. They have this data. What we are just doing is taking the data and learning patterns in the data to say, yes, this is how normally a plant is supposed to behave and identifying those very precise signatures that tell you that if you don't that tell you that it, once a deep degradation is detected and if you don't tend to it, an equipment will fail. So it doesn't use estimated models, MTEL. It uses precise uh, data-driven technique uh, to look at data across space and time, right? Uh, which we cannot do. I can't even keep up with my Excel. Um, so these sensors are like arranged in groups and they do specific tasks. Uh, and they're doing this 24-7. So when I say arranged in specific groups, you're taking these sensors to identify uh, perhaps uh, a specific degradation. You have already found in your data that, you know, this is the signature of a fan belt giving way. Um, Or to find um, anomalous behavior in your operation. Um, Or perhaps it could just be that an operator is just wants to know when the flow exceeds a certain limit or when a pressure exceeds a certain limit or if you want to perform an algebraic expression. So the agents can do pretty much, um, they can go as advanced as you want, as advanced as the customer wants from threshold alarms that you may find on your DCS, uh, your control systems, machine learning, uh, you know, identifying the patterns themselves. So these agents are working in real time. They are learning, adapting, and retaining this knowledge. Um, the beauty is that Entel also helps. There are inbuilt capabilities within the solution to uh, to help with data selection, cleaning, and incorporating domain knowledge. Uh, I heard from so many customers that you know just making sure your data is clean actually takes up a lot of time. So sometimes even fifty percent of your time to get that yeah. that data set uh, that needs to be looked at. So Entel can help with help you with that. Um, coming to prescriptive guidance, right? Uh, we do it in a couple of ways. We have 
inbuilt libraries, um, uh, going back to David's example of Jim, let's say Jim, Tom, Peter, they all know this knowledge of how to fix an engine belt. You can take that tribal knowledge and document it. Uh, we also have industry standards that are inbuilt into the solution as to how to fix a belt for someone who doesn't know. I'm using belt as an example, um, but yeah, we have that industry knowledge built in. Users can actually jump in and put in their knowledge of what, you know, how they addressed a certain um, equipment issue. Therefore, this is documented for future use. So the prescriptive part of MPEL comes from uh, that. Great. And how is thinking through that, David, I want to know about the about the AWS, the cloud component. How is that? I guess, where's the relationship there? And how is this optimized on the cloud? Great question, Joe. So it's uh, with MTEL, it's, it's, it's an easy deployment into the customer's tenant. Uh, and, and what that means is um, the the customer has data on their AWS tenant within their AWS account, if you will. Um, and what they can do with that is easily deploy Intel on AWS in their account. Uh, this allows for data aggregation into um, AWS Amazon Simple Storage Service, for example. That's that's our S three term, um, which which in turn gives way to data lakes. And with that data, we can, we can do a lot of things. We can, we can analyze it in all different ways, not just in the Intel scope, but in the larger Aspen tech software suite as well. Right. So it, it doesn't just limit you to a, a siloed or, or vertical software right now. We can go across all of Aspen tech's uh, software suite. Um, so it just doesn't relate to predictive maintenance but it has other applications now uh, where we can take that data set easily in the cloud from an S3 bucket and, and analyze it in another way uh, using uh, more Aspen tech um, softwares that are, that, are, that are on the cloud. So um, that's, that's kind of the, the beauty of it there. Um, I'll say the other thing too is um, now that a, a customer supposedly deploys Mtel on the cloud, they are not limited or siloed to one factory. Um, now what they can do with that data is, is go across their enterprise, right? It's all in one centralized location, that being the cloud. They can take that data. They can look at plants um, from, from California and look at plants in, in, in Florida, right? From West Coast to East Coast and everything in between. Uh, to understand which plants are operating effectively and most efficiently um, and, and do a, a cross comparison there as to um, what, what's going on operationally across the enterprise. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's kind of the, the beauty of it, right, is, is to kind of unlock this data to, to make the most of it um, by leveraging uh, AWS cloud services. Um, and, and MTEL thankfully is, is on the cloud. It's for easy deployment. Um, and, and it goes back to this, this data lake and, and creating a, a large data set so that, um, so that we can analyze it properly. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point and very interesting that when we start thinking about bringing in multiple different 
manufacturing facilities and being able to analyze all of them with this prescriptive maintenance and and going back to the the car analogy now thinking of like a fleet of cars which one is why is car a jim's car able to go 10,000 miles without really needing an oil change versus tom's that he needs an oil change every 3,500 miles. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to start burning up some some components. I think that's that's really interesting to think about. Um, what about some some more examples? I know earlier we were talking about the the significant improvement yeah. in pharmaceuticals. What about in a in like a another heavy industry? maybe oil and gas or manu- heavy industry manufacturing kind of setting. What Do you have any examples you could share from, from kind of uh, that sector? Yeah. Uh, so Bangkok industrial gas uh, comes to mind, in short, big. So Bangkok industrial gas, uh, they began um, using Aspen Tech solutions, uh, like, a, like they, David was uh, uh mentioning before that, you know, we have a portfolio of solutions. So uh, Big began using Aspen Tech Solutions back in 2019. And uh, over the last few years, Big has really become a strong advocate for us. Uh, so they deployed our Aspen Info Plus 21, which is basically to collect and store large volumes of real-time historical data. And then, of course, Aspen MTEL to then uh, analyze and predict uh, equipment degradation. Um, but recently, Big also started an initiative to leverage AWS Cloud for the plant data storage and retrieval. So, and then re- by that, replacing their in-house plant database. So, we were tasked with moving the historian data to cloud um, and allow for Big to aggregate data from various sources. Uh, leverage insights, not just for uh, plant improvement, not just for, you know, maintenance planning, but also for like commercial purposes, like just uh, David was uh, alluding to. So with this, uh, but prior to this, uh, the organization, BIG, had only about a week to plan for maintenance for uh, maintenance uh, related issues. But now with Amtel being on cloud, um, BIG has over a month uh, of lead time to, and that what that does is that it helps improve maintenance planning. Um, it's able to now manage, they're able to now manage their operations more profitably and efficiently. Um, of course, uh, like I said, they're able to predict and prevent downtime and they're able to improve their equipment runtime um, from 99% to 99.8%, which is stupendous. I mean, um, so, the, there is definitely an increase in reliability using Intel. Um, it has impacted their production uh, safety positively, but also there is a big um, sustainability angle to it. So uh, initially, Big started uh, with Intel on just five assets, and now it has proceeded to monitor over 100 pieces of equipment, including um, compressors, heat exchangers, and pumps. And... Um, Let's stick to the compressors for a moment. And I found this very interesting. So Enthel is now monitoring the efficiency and health of a compressor um, that is used in gas production. 
uh, and by monitoring the temperature very specifically, now they're able to operate that compressor very close to its limitations, going back to, you know, doing more with what you have. Uh, they're able to maximize the performance of the compressor, but at the same time, they're able to improve energy efficiency, which I, which goes back to the point that I made early on that, you know, most companies are looking at efficiency gains, but also in a way that it helps with the sustainability um, goals. And with uh, MTEL being on cloud, like just uh, like what David was mentioning earlier, everyone, all everyone has access to the same source of truth. Um, I guess, which is, I guess, the point that we are trying to make here. Yeah, that's great. David, did you have something to add in there? No, I, I was, um, <clears throat> I was just going to say, uh, yeah, back to that, that big example, I was just taking a look at some, some data points here, uh, considering <laughs> Amazon is a, a data driven company. Um, but yeah, Aspen Connect utilized routes for moving data with up to 10,000 data points per route, right? So that's, that's taking your source servers, running it through Aspen Connect, uh, and then migrating that to kind of the destination servers on the, on the AWS cloud. Uh, so it, it goes back to um, having that, that single source of truth that Pratiba mentioned, right? And, and instead of these instead of these data points locked up on some local server that might not even be, it, it might not even have visibility anywhere, right? Uh, I, I, I've seen servers that are just locked up inside of some cabinet that the, the, the maintenance owner forgot it was even there. Um, so just having access to that data and putting it on the cloud uh, just just really, I think, unlocks that 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 operational value that's that's inherent, but not tapped, right? It's It's uh, and now we can tap into that, um, storing it in the cloud, making it accessible, um, and then, and then I'll say, um, leveraging cloud even more to integrate, um, not just with Aspen Tech solutions, but other ERP management solutions. Right, being able to get a, a holistic view um, uh, of the plant and of the and enterprise. If as I well. may add to that, um, just expanding from the story that we had with. Uh, big if you think about uh, wind farms um, electrical grids pipelines you know these are these massive pieces of assets spread across the country you you don't have that many resources that can actually look at it drive you know come back monitor come back you don't know like like David was mentioning you don't know where these servers are sitting uh, I think with assets uh, that are um, spread out uh, with the assets that are hard to reach, uh, having the sensors and having that data available to you in the cloud, I think is uh, really important, uh, you know, for the future. Uh, a, it helps you, one, like you said, you know, there's aging population, it helps you document that information of the tribal knowledge that they have, that they know, they know how to fix it. It's helpful to have that knowledge handy, but also you're now able to do, you're freeing up the time for your maintenance personnel. Um, you're letting them focus on these high priority tasks than having to go up and down. So having that information handy and readily available in real time, I guess, is uh, extremely valuable. Not just uh, since we're talking about manufacturing, I just wanted to bring up that point that, um, you know, it's also for midstream companies, pipeline companies, 
people my uh, power production and uh, wind farms yeah yep yeah great point thank you for adding that and i want to so we've been talking about the the value there the operational efficiencies you said that that increase of going from 99 yeah. to 99.8% and i think for all of us we recognize maybe going from 60 to 70%, yeah. like most of the time that's easy. Going from 99 to 99.8, yeah. like that's the hard part. And that's really where you go from a, a break-even company to a profitable company. It's being able to get that yeah. last one, 2% out of there. So I think the the value is very clear. I, I, I noticed you both Pratiba, you mentioned sustainability, and David, you mentioned the operational efficiencies and the opportunities there. I I want to ask the question: Is there is there a direct correlation, or is there a direct calculation of say CO two savings or or the the overall I guess product per ki- kilogram of CO two? Anything that is directly going into the ESG sustainability reports for these companies directly from um, Intel? So I, I would say um, we have a few customers trying out. There are a few leaders in the space who are looking at uh, what I would call as newer use cases. Um, that is to identify process leaks using Intel. It's not, it's not predominant. It's not out there. There are newer use cases which we are still trying to prove. However, that said, uh, I think what is equally important and impactful um, is what the solution provides, right? Uh, again, I'm going back to the same example. Like if you have uh, an unplanned equipment outage uh, and when you, when you have Entel uh, in place, you have helped with a few things. One, you have a process run that is not wasted. And we spoke about GSK, losing a production midway uh, is not great. You have wasted energy. You have wasted product. Your operations are not safe. Uh, you could cause an environmental incident. You could cause a, a safety incident. Um, so by ensuring safe, reliable operations uh, and efficient operations, um, you can make a case for um, impacting sustainability metrics. And customers can extrapolate um, you know, how that increased uh, productivity and efficiency calculates into the CO2 savings. And I've done that for Reliance when, back when I was working as a, a technical services uh, engineer. We did some similar calculations. You know, you installed a new unit here. You're now producing uh, more hydrogen because of this unit. Then you're burning less fuel gas. So how does this all tie into CO2 savings? We have done that and manufacturers can do that. So that said, I'll also say, and I think uh, David mentioned this, we have solutions across Aspen Tech portfolio, uh, more like starter kits that can help uh, to make better investment decisions when it's coming to these newer technologies like hydrogen projects, CCUS, CCS projects, reduce cost and emissions. Um, we also have recently launched a new emissions management solution that gives these asset and energy intensive organizations the ability to uh, pinpoint and act on key operational areas which have the biggest impact on production. So this is helping them with their 
emission reduction efforts as well. Uh, just speaking to the broader pro portfolio that we offer. Yeah, and, and just to add to that, uh, I think uh, I, I keep hitting on the point of, you know, the beauty behind cloud is the capability of centralized and readily accessible data, right? Um, this enables analytics and applying other technologies um, or software to those data sets uh, to calculate your carbon emissions, right? And you could take an automated approach. I know AWS has plenty of partners um, and independent software vendors that build in the space. One that comes to mind is uh, a company called uh, Persephone, uh, which enables organizations to analyze and reduce carbon footprint. Um, I think to Pradeeba's earlier point as well, you could also take a manual approach. Um, it's, it's a simple calculation, right? So you can take a baseline um, and, and monitor a before and after um, using MTEL, right? So you, you take your baseline of, of your energy usage um, and then apply MTEL to it. And then, and then take a, a time frame of six months or a year or more, uh, and then see what those operational efficiencies, you know, how they improved, how much they improved, um, and, and calculate that, right? So uh, you can take a, a manual or, or an automated approach to that. And then if you really want to get granular with it, um, you can actually track, measure, review, and forecast carbon emissions generated from your AWS usage. So we have, a, we have an AWS carbon footprint tool. So if, if you want to look at your, your AWS consumption, um, that's also a possibility as well. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's the the real value there is being able to really, Pratiba, as you pointed out, and David, the most important part is actually having the data and having that that maintenance and the, the optimization quantified and then being able to bring it in look at it over the long term and being able to then do calculations on top of that, because that is where you can see, as Pratiba pointed out, what is that, what is that one piece of equipment that is really putting out the most CO2 or which is the one that, which process produces the most CO2 and then how can we go in there and decarbonize that? And now that we've got that data stream, now we can do that six month check and comparison. So we've kind of talked around how how all of this, how something like MTEL ends mm -hmm. up helping helping yeah. operational efficiencies. And I guess my my big question now is is what's next in terms of manufacturing? How do we really apply something like MTEL? to revolutionize kind of all of these manufacturing spaces. Another way to ask it is like, what do you see in the next five years? How is our vision and understanding of manufacturing going to be different because of cloud-based software, data monitoring, prescriptive maintenance, kind of your sandbox that uh, you play in? Yeah, so the... The main thing I think to understand uh, is that MTEL is a it's a comprehensive data driven solution, um, which is both industry and equipment agnostic. Uh, I think where we stand out and where I see the industry um, going is that you know having that domain expertise really helps, um, whether it's 
whether it's us, you know, helping our customers um, or the subject matter experts that the customers have. So bringing that knowledge into the solution to make that solution better and stronger. So we have great prediction capabilities and we have better analytics, uh, but also um, the ability to work with our you know, customer to make the solution stronger, the ability to integrate within their, with their workflows, um, the ability to actually bring these different, um, you know, functional organizations together. I think that is, that is really important. I, I know as, as a young engineer in, um, in Reliance, uh, we used to do, I used to do the bottlenecking studies. In fact, I used one of the Aspen solutions, always used to wonder, when producing these great results, these great, great process adjustments that engineers and operations can make, why aren't they taking it? Uh, the point I'm trying to make is that um, with the solutions like with solutions like Mtel, right? It's not just forcing you to think how better you can maintain your equipment, what is the efficiency gains that you can get, but it's also telling you, hey, you need to plan for this. So if you have to plan for this, that means that you need to coordinate with your planning scheduling team, uh, with your operations team. You need to notify them that, hey, this piece of equipment, I'm planning to bring it down. What does it do to your operations? You know, and the operations might come back and say, can you move it? So with with Mtel and Aspen Tech, um, the portfolio itself, what we are aiming for, we are there, but I wouldn't say we are there fully uh, 100% there. We have the uh, ability to uh, interoperate between our different solutions. Uh, the example that I was just giving you with Mtel, you can collaborate with our manufacturing suite of solutions, supply chain suite of solutions to actually schedule your maintenance uh, at an opportune time, whether it is uh, bringing in third-party maintenance personnel, uh, you know, ensuring you're not losing production. So scheduling your maintenance at a time that works for you when your parts, when the parts are available, when the maintenance people are available, you know, ensuring people are at the center of the solution. So I guess where we are going with this is it's no more going to be a point solution, uh, you know, one solution to address one thing. Uh, your decision here affects everything else. So that's where we are headed in the next five to 10 years. And then that's our biggest strength. That's great. Yeah, to, to add on to that, I think uh, I think there's three kind of main main things that come to mind for me at least. Um, one is kind of this this new generation of, of workforce that we have at hand, right? With with a bunch of Gen Zs and 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 millennials, I'll say gaining, um, getting older, right. Um, uh, and gaining seniority in organizations. I think there's, there's really this, this, this big movement with, with our, our current workforce, especially in the operations space, um, that are, that are really, uh, adopting cloud, um, that, that, uh, the, the adoption of cloud is becoming more prevalent. And I, I think there's also, we, we have this, these, these large um, groups of data scientists, right, that, that are trying to wrangle this data and, and use it to their, uh, their organization's um, good, right, and, and trying to optimize it. Um, and I think by combining, you know, Mtel's predictive maintenance and their solution in the cloud, we can really empower those data scientists to make the most data-driven decisions 
um, uh, you know, at, at scale. And then another thing is, is back to that cloud adoption point. Gartner just ran a report and, and said 56% of CEOs are seeing, um, seeing an increased revenue by, by digitally transforming their business and their organization. Right. So I, I think by, by using technology to their benefit and using the cloud and leveraging those services within the AWS cloud um, is really a recipe for success. Uh, the last thing I'll say is, is just kind of on this artificial intelligence piece. Uh, you see it more in the news um, every day, uh, especially with the government trying to regulate it, right? Because it's, it's exponentially uh, taking off right now. Um, but I really, I really feel um, that uh, we, we need to double down on this as well, right? Um, by, by marrying the two with MTEL and, and AWS artificial intelligence cloud services, we can, we can even take our, our next step into kind of the, the smart manufacturing 5.0, if you will, right? Uh, by, by really leveraging that, that AI machine learning uh, piece of it, uh, that, that will that will drive even even more operational efficiencies and and maybe move from our ninety nine point eight to ninety nine point nine, right? Uh, so uh, I, I think um, I, I think there's exciting. Yeah, things I, I just I just want to add um, one point to what David was saying. The initially with with all these solutions coming into the space, I would say between twenty ten and twenty twenty, the last decade, uh, there was some. Uh, hesitation uh, because you know it came the the I think the message that was getting conveyed or the uh, what industry understood is that oh these solutions are coming to get us they're coming to get our jobs but I would say what has changed and I think what will continue to change is also that perception that these tools will take up will take someone's job away and I I don't see that as the case and I, if anything like David uh, pointed out. It's helping them, uh, you know, one data scientist or just the manufacturer, the maintenance engineers, you know, folks who have come up in their um, career, holding on to the roles that they are holding on to, they're able to upskill, get trained um, and retain their jobs and use their knowledge and use their time to doing uh, something that is more important uh, from an ROI perspective or prioritizing their time towards um, um, activities that are more important on a daily basis than to um, running and tending to an emergency maintenance activity. So there is also, I feel, the perception of what AI ML solutions can do because that itself is a very heavy <laughs> word. It's sometimes not looked in a positive light, but I just want to say that there is a change in perception as well with uh, regards to uh, adopting uh, these technologies. And I'll, I see that is continuing to change for the better. That's great. Very exciting. Well, I think that that is a, a good stopping point opportunity to transition into my final questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. The first question being, what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend? I'm going to have both of you answer it. I'll let you fight over who answers first. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, Okay. So I, I, uh, I really wish I could name one, but there is one that I'm reading right now. It's called, um, 
It's called How Big Things Get Done by Ben Flyberg. I hope I'm not butchering his name and Dan Gartner. Um, I, I find this book uh, really fascinating. So it's a take on how mega projects are executed and the stories behind some of the most famous successes and equally famous failures. And I think that is important. Um, and what resonated the most to me and what is also relevant to our conversation today and energy transition is that uh, mega projects fail because they we treat them as these unique projects. And what the author is trying to get to is that it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be a project that doesn't have a direct historic precedent. Instead, perhaps if we look at it as a collection of small projects, uh, which then make an accurately plan for forecast and execute, then it would be a success. Um, going back to our discussion of you know energy transition, um, sustainability, I think the success will then depending uh, depend on us deploying uh, multiple well thought out um, established technologies that work today. Because I feel the opportunity cost of failing, um, failing the transition of far too high uh, for us to kind of rely and look at this as a unique project. Very interesting. And that's definitely a good book recommendation that I will be adding to my list. David, what about you? What's your book recommendation? One of my favorite books, and I actually just started rereading it. Um, it's it's a it's a classic. I'd like to call it, but it's it's good to great by by Jim Collins. Uh, it was written in in two thousand one, uh, but the the principles, the business principles, still ring true. Um, and it's funny, I saw an article, um, that kind of resurfaced about how Bezos, um, became one of Jim Collins best students. Um, that was back when Amazon was in, in trouble actually back in 2001. Um, but in the book, they, they talk about, uh, a flywheel and how, how you, to, to, to start a flywheel, it takes immense, yeah. um, energy, right. To, to start moving it, um, and, and with each, um, with each push of that flywheel, uh, you, you start spinning it and it spins faster and faster. Uh, and it, it kind of goes into this concept of, of momentum. Um, and then Jeff Bezos kind of took that flywheel concept and made it his own, uh, and really, uh, dug deep on that concept. Um, and, and this is back when Amazon was still e-commerce, right? But, uh, essentially the, their flywheel, the Amazon flywheel, was, you know, you offer lower prices on more stuff. And if you do that, you increase customer visits. And if you do that, uh, you help get more third-party sellers. And if you do that, then then we can't help but expand yeah, store and, and right extend right distribution. Now, yeah. And then if you do that, then you're going to raise revenues per fixed cost. And then if you do that, you lower your prices on more stuff. And it goes around and around, right? So it's this idea of, of uh, momentum. So... Um, We've, we've now lowered our prices at, at AWS specifically. Um, we, we've lowered it 129 times um, since we launched back in 2006. That's of uh, September 14th, 2022. But um, um, just the, the whole flywheel concept um, was uh, j just, just rang true again with me. Good to Great is one of those books that many people recommend. It is very exciting. 
I have to admit, I have not read it yet, but I really like that tie-in with with uh, Jeff Bezos and the flywheel. Yeah. That is that is not something that I mean. People have talked about flywheels, but not that tie-in. So it's all the more reason to read it. So now the last question is: you two actually get to ask me a Go question, it, and, and you both get to ask me a question. So it'll it'll be two questions. All right, Joe. So. I'd like to have a little bit of fun with this if, if you're up for it. Um, I, I want to paint a picture for you. Yeah. And I, I have two questions for you. Uh, this, is a, this is a hypothetical and probable scenario here. Um, but let's say, uh, you know, your work and research in geoscience pays off um, or, or your energy transition podcast hits Joe Rogan status, right? So, so what we're talking, you've amassed a large fortune here, um, similar to Jeff Bezos, right? You're, you're a billionaire and you have an opportunity to invest, let's say a couple hundred million dollars into, you're a geoscience background guy, right? But you you have a $200 million to, to invest in your favorite geoscience technology. And I know this is kind of off topic from MTEL and operational efficiency, but, um, what would what would you invest in? What's kind of your that? What's the geoscience technology that most excites you? What which one would you invest in, uh, and why? That's 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 question one. Uh, question two is: since now you're a billionaire, what what are your exorbitant and, and leisurely hobbies now? <laughs> um, the first question. This may be slightly biased because this is something that we work on. I do have a day job at Tavera. So I am a geothermal lead for, for our company, bringing new technologies, new ideas and, and doing, doing consulting for other companies. But one of the, one of the things, and I'll, I'll, I'll step back to not be super biased, but I will say subsurface energy storage specifically, I think, Thermal energy storage is is most important, and I say this because right now, in really in all of the all of the energy transition space, to me, energy storage is really what is going to be the the unlocking mechanism. So right now, the bottleneck is getting solar and wind onto the grid and utilized. And then the idea of being able to travel from San Francisco to New York in one drive, as we get self-driving cars, we're still going to need to pull over to charge up our batteries. That that's a problem. I don't want to be woken up as I'm driving across the country. Right. So, (laughs) and I I just there a little bit, we should always be paying attention to the road. But if we're not if we're self-driving, then then we're not anymore. So it, I think storage is the key there, and there's a lot of great storage technologies. I think that if we can leave that energy in the ground and pull it out when we need to, I think that is ultimately going to be the the unlocking mechanism. And I personally think that's through reservoir thermal energy storage. So that is where I would be investing and probably investing into 
into the company I work with and, and getting our ideas off the ground. Now, now that I'm a billionaire and what are my, what are my exorbitant or leisurely hobbies? I, I would probably be boring with that. I wouldn't do anything super exciting. I would have a, a large hobby ranch farm. I would be taking trips, doing things like geoscience, geoscientists without borders. And for some of the projects that we work on, it is say several million dollars to get through phase one, phase two of a project. I would be going and doing that and self-funding it because there are these great opportunities and these great resources that, that I can see as being 100% in on. I think they're going to succeed. It's a matter of getting the right funding. And I would just try and get those to the point where they could be, be funded through traditional means. That would be my, my extravagant hobby, which would be an expensive hobby going into geothermal development. It's expensive. That's quite the hobby. But I, I, know. I love it. That's I my answer. <laughs> you get to go to a lot of very cool places. So in that sense, like that. it would be exotic travel so, with purpose. I like that too. <laughs> Hopefully traveling in style too, Joe. <laughs> I, I have a non-fun yes, question yeah. to ask and probably somewhere yes. along the same lines. So <laughs> you mentioned that you're inching closer towards your 100th podcast. So in all of these podcasts, uh, I want to know, was there one idea, one solution that was a, yeah. that that you thought was a game changer? If Even if it's in geothermal space, I'm all ears. I thought was a game changer. I think the, mm-hmm. the geothermal podcasts were all very interesting and definitely always going to give kudos and, and props to the geothermal industry more recently. And this goes back to the, the point of energy storage more recently we, I had a, a guest on, which I think will actually be released in a few weeks when we're recording this. It'll get released before, it would have just gotten released before our episode yeah. gets released here. But uh, RivTerra, or RevTerra, they have a mechanical storage solution for fast charging. So this is getting to the point of if you want to be able to, have your self-driving car drive you across the country and minimize stops and minimize the time of stops. That is, they've got a storage system that more importantly to me, it also doesn't increase the cost of that energy. So if you were to just take your, your energy and, and send that through a fast charging system, that is going to raise your your bulk energy cost. But if you can do that through storage and unload all of that power, now you can just do like a slow charge on your storage, normal load, and then be able to let it all go into cars in a fast way. So I think that's really fascinating. 
And I think that that is another one of those kind of key technologies as we talk about decarbonizing and decarbonizing travel. That is a, that's an important point. So those are my answers. And that was the last final question. Thank you both for joining me on the show today. Before we sign off, I want to give you a chance to say any last words that you have. David, we're going to have you go first. And then Pratiba, you get awesome. the final word. Well, well, thank you, Joe. No, no real final words. Uh, just just wanted to say uh, thank you, Joe, for, for being such a gracious host and having us on here uh, today. Pratiba, it was, it was wonderful talking to you and um, just, just loved our discussion and, uh, and get to know you, you guys more. So thank you again for having us on. Absolutely. Uh, I share the same sentiment. Thank you for having us. I think it was a great an hour something uh, minutes. Uh, it was great to get to know you through this conversation as well, um, Joe. Uh, the, there is one last thing that I promise you this is uh, this is not a book publicity tour. <laughs> I'm not being paid by these people, but I would say that uh, there's some very interesting ideas uh, in, in this book that is how big things get done. And very quickly, I would like to mention a few things. So the few lessons that uh, they mention is, and this is for how to implement projects, right? How to implement good projects and be successful. Uh, so the one thing they say is, uh, one, hire a master builder. Uh, so you want someone with uh, knowledge. Uh, get your team right. Uh, make sure you ask why we are doing what we're doing. Uh, build with the concept of Lego, as in, you know, build small and grow, uh, stack them up. Um, think slow and act fast. Take the uh, outside view. Uh, watch your downside and say no and walk away when an action doesn't contribute to the goal. So uh, in the larger context of what we have been discussing today, I felt like the lessons that uh, this book has kind of listed is uh, quite helpful. And those would be my last words. Yep, Absolutely. Well, David, Pratiba, thank you for, for those. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, share with a friend and leave a review telling me what you're enjoying most or what you would like to hear more of. If you want to hear more news and energy-related stories, we have all sorts of energy-related podcasts on OGGN. You can find those by connecting with us on LinkedIn or visiting OGGN.com. One more thing, I have a quick favor to ask. I have a one-question survey that I want you to fill out. The link for that is in the show notes. Please go fill that out. And if you do, we can send you some stickers. Finally, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low-carbon, high-energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.